Let's just pray, shall we? Father, we pray that you'd help us to live for you with our eyes on all that you have promised us in Christ, that we may run the race well, that we may continue to fight the good fight, empowered by your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you teach us wonderful things as we look into your word now. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. What are you constantly praying about day and night? Uh, Is it your children? Is it friends? Uh, Is it uh, church, family, members? I I mean, I love my children, uh, and uh, I pray for them regularly, but I don't often pray for them every night and every day. When is it that you pray for people like that? Well, I don't know about you, but for me, it's in seasons when I know that they're facing a particular crisis that I will pray for them day and night. Uh, Whether my children are going through a particular crisis or if I hear there's someone in the church family who's going through a really difficult time, they're on my heart and I will seek to bring them, uh, them before the Lord day and night. And I try and keep in touch. I maybe send them a, a text message or an email or even phone them up and just to let them know I'm praying for them, uh, to get some update for them, to sort of send some word of encouragement for them in what they're facing. And I think that's the emotional tone of this New Testament letter in our Bibles called Second Timothy. So you might want to open your Bibles up to Second Timothy again. Today we start a new series. We're going to work through this wonderful letter. The Apostle Paul wrote to a younger Christian, uh, a younger Christian leader called Timothy, with a directness that suggests that Paul had concerns for him, concerns about the challenges that Timothy was facing uh, in the church in Ephesus, concerns made more acute with perhaps the sense of the significant moment of transition that was taking place in leadership. Um, This is the last letter that we have from the Apostle Paul in prison and aware that he's nearly finished the race. Who's going to carry on the work of guarding the gospel and passing on to the next generation, if not Timothy? And perhaps he's concerned that Timothy is beginning to back down as a Christian leader. That's the tone that I get as you hear him starting off saying, I'm praying for you day and night. And if you've ever been one of those Timothys and you've been asked to take on the leadership of a ministry or uh, to become an elder or to become the senior pastor of a church, uh, especially at a difficult time, you will know some of the fears that threaten to overwhelm you. How on earth will you fill those big shoes? I mean, I sit in the prayer room before we come in here, and I look up on the wall, and all these great ones are on the wall. And you think, how bad things have gotten in Britain that I am the pastor of this church. How on earth am I to fill these shoes? See, right down through church history, there's been Christians who've been swayed by false teaching, 
There have been tensions and divisions that have taken place in churches because of sin and pride. There's opposition that's come from outside of the church. And Paul here anticipated that the church would be reading this letter to Timothy over Timothy's shoulder. At the end of the letter, Paul finishes with the words of chapter 4, verse 22. Grace be with you all, plural. And this is a personal letter, but it's not a private letter. And so it's a useful letter, I think, for us today and for the whole church. I mean, what is authentic Christian ministry? What should we expect from pastors and elders? What sort of church and church leadership should we be supporting as Christians? What sort of people should we be appointing to be elders and pastors? What should be the focus of church life as those living in the last days? Well, 2 Timothy is a book that will really help us be grounded in these core things. We're living at a time where national churches continue to depart from the teaching of the Bible. I came across a clip on social media recently of a, uh, of a leader in a purple shirt uh, saying it's quite safe to ignore the teaching of the Bible. Scotland is reverting back to kind of a pre-Christian, Greco-Roman, pagan way of thinking with a state religious view that is kind of getting opposed to Christian teaching and morality. The latest example of this just came out this last week with the publication of a government consultation paper uh, in, called Ending Conversion Practices in Scotland. Now, clearly, all coercive um, practices are wrong, and they're already covered in existing legislation. But in my brief reading of this consultation paper, um, the normal historic uh, teaching that sex is for marriage between a man and a woman and that single people should abstain from having sexual relationships would be deemed to be an abusive act of suppression if it was communicated to someone with same-sex attraction. And so if this proposal actually gets enacted into law, I think there's legitimate concerns that normal Christian discipleship of prayer and teaching the Bible could be criminalized in this country. And so please look out for resources that you'll find probably from the Evangelical Alliance and the Christian Institute in coming days where you can respond to this consultation. It's open till April, and I'd encourage you to read those documents and to make your own feedback. I don't know whether it'll make any difference, but it's worth a try. The pressure seems to be growing on church leaders to change the doctrine of the church, to keep your head down, to back away from what the Bible has to say. Uh, there are political leaders in this country who want to shame and belittle people for believing historic Christian teaching. And so what's going to keep us unashamed? What's going to keep us pressing on? Well, I want to suggest to you that 2 Timothy will really help us. So open up to page 1195. What's going to keep us unashamed and faithfully pressing on? Well, I've got two main points this morning. Firstly, to look back with confidence in God. And secondly, to move forward with courage in God. So firstly then, looking back with confidence in God. Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel. 
Prison is not an easy place to be today. It was far worse back then. What kept him going? Well, I want to suggest to you at least three things from these verses. Firstly, the certainty of his calling. As he begins the letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul never forgot his conversion. It also, at the same time, was almost his commission by the Lord Jesus. And in Acts chapter 26, you can read about Paul as he stands before uh, the governor Felix and King Agrippa. And he recalled the words, the exact words of Jesus, as he was surrounded by a blinded light, blinding light on the Damascus Road. This is what Jesus said to him. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and Gentiles. I am sending you. Now that, that's what apostle means. Uh, the word apostle means a sent one. And um, being commissioned by someone to go on a task for them. Paul was a sent one of Jesus Christ. He could never forget it. These words, I am sending you to do what? To, to open the eyes, to open people's eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's what Jesus said to him. That encounter with Jesus just changed his whole life. Despite being a persecutor of Christians, Paul could not get over the fact that the grace of the Lord Jesus had, he had met with him, the persecutor. It had reached him, the worst of sinners. He had been shown mercy and he'd been entrusted with the gospel so that he could share the privilege of handing on this good news of Christ Jesus with all who would listen. This was clearly the will of God for his life. To open the eyes of the blind by showing them the beauty of Jesus. To bring uh, people from darkness to light. To rescue them from the power of Satan. To bring them safe to God. Forgiven of their sins, right with him. It thrilled his heart. And it kept him going. Even though he's in prison. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. But it was not only the sort of the certainty of his calling, but it was also the, the glorious content of the message that he'd been entrusted with. When you put your faith in Jesus and you're identified as one of those born-again Christians that people sneer at, uh, what's going to keep you going uh, against the mockery and the threats? Well, because Jesus offers us life. Look at that next statement in verse 1. In keeping with the promise of life that is in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. This is a message about life. That's, it doesn't get more important than that, does it? It doesn't get more crucial than that. Historians and thought leaders have, have observed that our Western society is now a cut flower, cut off from the life-giving root of Christianity. How long is it going to last, they ask. But the real problem is actually personal. Our lives are like a cut flower, separated from God by our sinful rebellion. Uh, we're a people who are subject to decay and death. 
Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden and from the Tree of Life because they disobeyed God's word and usurped his rule over their lives. And so every baby that's been born ever since has come into a sin-cursed world where their bodies are wearing out, where we're subject to sickness and death. And beyond physical death is the second spiritual death, the Bible tells us, eternal separation from God. Mankind is destined to die once and after that face God's judgment. That's why the news about Jesus is such good news. Look at verse 10 in this chapter. The appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. His death, his resurrection, defeated death, destroyed it for all who trust him. Our Savior, Christ Jesus, brought life and immortality into this dark world as a light. True life now, knowing the joy of God's forgiveness, knowing his grace and mercy and peace, and a life of fellowship with God the Father through the Son by his Spirit, a life of friendship and community uh, with uh, fellow believers, a life of purposeful mission and hope even in the face of physical death for the risen Christ will raise us on the judgment day as free and forgiven people who are going to share in the new heavens and the new earth forever. And that's what kept Paul unashamed and kept him pressing on, even as he faced the death penalty. It was the certainty of his calling, it was the content of his message, and thirdly, it was his confidence in God. If you look at verse 2, you see, when we've surrendered our life to Jesus, what can we confidently expect from God? Grace. Mercy, peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if you're feeling stressed as a Christian today, especially if you feel isolated in your ministry as a ministry leader or as an elder or as a pastor, then look up from your situation and know with confidence that God wants to show you favor grace. His heart is gracious towards you. The light of his face is shining on us. He is a God who knows our difficulties. He knows the stress and anxiety we experience, and there is mercy for us. He is a God who loves to rescue his people, to redeem his people, to show them undeserved Mercy, Isn't that wonderful? That's his heart towards us. And if we're in a situation where there's turmoil and disagreement, he is a God who gives peace. A God who guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus when we turn our cares into prayers before his throne. And Paul was so confident that he could turn to God in prayer night and day on behalf of Timothy because he had a confidence that God wanted to strengthen and bless Timothy because it was clear to Paul that his faith was sincere. Paul couldn't think of Timothy without thanksgiving to God. 
for all the grace that he had seen already evident in his life. I mean, just think about the factors that had shaped Timothy to have a sincere faith and to make him a Christian leader. What, what are the factors that shape children to become Christian leaders? Well, at least three factors here. Firstly, he came from a godly home. Uh, Acts 16 tells us that uh, Timothy had a Greek father who probably was not a Christian and a Jewish mother called Eunice and a grandmother, Lois, who faithfully read and taught the scriptures to him growing up. And when Paul turns up in Lystra preaching uh, how Jesus Christ fulfilled all the promises of scripture, the first to surrender their life to Jesus, it sounds very much like it was Lois, the grandmother. And with her encouragement, she led her daughter, Eunice, to also trust Jesus. And then together they brought Timothy along to hear the gospel from Paul. And he'd become a believer. You see, a Jew becoming a Christian is not disloyal, but is actually to follow the faith and hope of Abraham and, and of uh, Moses and David to see that all of it points to and is fulfilled in Jesus, who is the Messiah. Now, what an encouragement this is to grandmothers today. The influence you can have on your grown children and your grandchildren. What an encouragement to believing wives whose husbands are not yet trusting Jesus of the influence that your sincere faith can have on your children. You can prepare them to meet with Jesus by reading and teaching the scriptures to them. You can invite them to come and hear those who are preaching the good news of Jesus. You can remember them in your prayers to God. Well, that was the godly environment that Timothy grew up in. Another part of his training was that he had gifts that were recognized and encouraged by the church. Both Paul and the, uh, the rest of the church saw the ministry gifts in Timothy. Elders and Paul had laid hands on him and commissioned him to be a, a trusted Christian leader. And his mother and grandmother were willing to let him go. I don't think that's a small thing. Willing to go with the Apostle Paul who kept getting beaten up and thrown into prison. On you go, Tim. You're off with Paul. It took a lot of bravery to let him go, don't you think? To be part of the missionary team. But that's the third element that he was trained by a mentor, a spiritual mentor. Timothy became like a much-loved son to Paul. He told the Corinthian church that he had no one like Timothy in his team. He traveled with Paul and was trusted with important visits to churches on behalf of Paul. And by the time these pastoral letters had been uh, sent to Timothy, he'd now been assigned to oversee the Christian mission in the area of Ephesus. It sounds like with pastoral responsibilities and the church there. And Paul still remembered Timothy's tears the last time they met because it, it could well have been the last time they ever met. The warmth of this friendship. It was like a father to a son. And because of all these factors, Paul was persuaded that Timothy had a sincere faith in Jesus. That's why he could pray with thanksgiving. Now, what will keep us unashamed and pressing on today in 21st century Scotland? Well, we have to have the same confidence in God, don't we? 
a confidence that is stirred by um, the recollection of our own conversion, how God called us, that is stirred when we remember the content of the message that we proclaim. What we're talking about is life. It doesn't get more important than that. And when we recall the ways that we have seen the cause of Christ advance in saving and transforming people's lives around us, to see how he takes people and gives them gifts to serve and sustain them in their labors and achievements. I've sat here so encouraged just to see Ashley leading, uh, hear the scriptures being read, seeing the band lead us uh, as we sang, to hear Robert pray. And just praise God for the gifts that they have got that they want to serve his body. That God is at work in their lives and in this church. It gives us great confidence, doesn't it, in God. Will the faithful God who called us, uh, brought us to this point, is he going to leave us in the lurch now as we move forward? Will he suddenly stop sustaining Uh, Will he suddenly stop being at work in our lives? Will he stop honoring the Son and saving people through his gospel? I don't think so. This confidence kept Paul going, even in prison. And it keeps Paul at prayer for Timothy. And the reason he wrote the letter to Timothy was to urge him to move forward with courage in God. Look at verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God, the Spirit God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self discipline. This is why he's writing, he's urging Timothy. Fan into flame. Timothy clearly had a God-given gift. Uh, The the Greek word is charisma. He had charisma, a God-given gift. And he'd been set apart by Paul and the elders. If you go back to 1 Timothy in chapter 4, you can read this, that Paul urged him, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. This, uh, this gift of God seems to be his publicly recognized gift to be a leader and preacher in Christ's church. But notice with me that you can have a God-given gift to bless others and to strengthen them and yet neglect them. There is a decision required whether to exercise those gifts and strengthen them or to neglect them and weaken this gift from God. Now, could it be that Timothy has become so discouraged that he has been stepping back from the work in Ephesus? Wouldn't be the first missionary. Wouldn't be the first pastor. Wouldn't be the first elder to feel like this. Had his passion for the work of the gospel cooled? Had it become too painful, too difficult? Had he begun to avoid the challenges of ministry? 
to begin to coast for an easier life. Is this the reason that Paul is remembering him day and night, constantly in prayer? Because Paul is anxious that Timothy's beginning to back away from the role? Well, that's how it reads to me. And this letter seems to be just this passionate plea to Timothy to not let this happen. Once again, Paul is reminding him to fan into flame the gift from God. Now, according to the reports, it was going to be cold this morning. So before I went to bed last night, I threw some smokeless coal on, on to, into our stove. And I turned it right the way down and went to bed. And this morning when I came down to kind of read my Bible and pray, um, put the coffee on, first thing I do. I, I believe in the Holy Spirit and I believe in coffee. And, um, and then I go to my little stove. And it, it, there's no fire in there, but if you look... There's, there's still a few glowing embers in the stove. And so what I do is I put a bit of newspaper in there, put some, some wood on it, and then I just crack it open a little bit, and I, and I fan, fan this heat by letting the air get sucked in. And I, I filmed it. I can show it to you if you want. I, I, watched, I, just, I should prove I do this. And I love it. And it's that moment you just see the smoke's building, the smoke's building. It's getting hot. You can, it's starting, the metal's starting to crank a bit. And then suddenly, the flame comes. And, oh, this is great. Praise the Lord. Right? Such a blessing when the fire is on, on a cold day, isn't it? Well, what a gift to have spiritual leadership that's passionately serving the Lord in a community of believers. It raises the temperature for the whole congregation, doesn't it? It spreads and grows a passion for Jesus and for his gospel amongst the whole congregation. The cause of Christ seems all the more real. And the importance of giving your life for kingdom growth. And for those called to be pastors and elders and ministry leaders, this is a reminder that we need to actually give attention to our own souls to fuel the fire, to exercise our gifts for the blessing of others. And I would say this is important for all church members to reflect on, to know that you can do things that help discouraged leaders ignite a fresh passion for the work of God. And equally, you can do things that smother and cool down whatever heat remains. You see, in the morning, I could basically get my, I could rake that, separate the coals and make it go completely cold. Put some damp things on it and put it out. In Obama's survey of American pastors in 2021-2022, there was a growing trend of pastors considering leaving the ministry. And in 2022, 42% were considering leaving, uh, remember this is kind of towards the end of COVID, because of the stress of the job, feeling lonely and isolated, and the political divisions that COVID lockdowns had brought about in the church. Now, the challenge of 2 Timothy to leaders is in the word translated timid. That's a rather flattering way 
of translating the word. A less flattering word would be the word cowardice. When you're lacking moral strength. This is a bracing letter for Timothy, calling him not to be a coward. Imagine that being read out of church. Oh, we've got a letter from Paul. Oh, good, I love Paul. Timothy, don't be a coward. Thanks a lot. Don't neglect your gifts. Don't cower from the challenges. Don't back away from fighting the good fight. Don't give up running the race. It's especially true for leaders, but it's true for all of us, isn't it? Fan into flame. Whatever gifts God has given us. Leaders fan into flame the gift of God. Move forward in, with courage in God. For the spirit that God gives us doesn't make us cowards. That's not what the spirit of God does. The spirit of God gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Isn't that wonderful? The God who gives gifts of leadership responsibilities also gives his spirit to enable us to persevere in this work. And the spirit gives power. What does that look like? Does it mean I can lift 200 kilograms, no sweat? No, that, that, no not, I mean, that'd be nice, but no. It's power to be willing to suffer. Look at verse 8. Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. The only way that we're going to suffer for the gospel and not back down is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And only by the Holy Spirit will we persist to to love those who persecute us. To love difficult people when they're making our life hard and discouraging. The Spirit wants to give us love for awkward people. And we all know awkward people. And maybe each of us are awkward to different people. And only through the Spirit will you maintain the spiritual self-discipline to keep at the work when it's hard and unrewarding to get up again and do it for another week. This is not something that we can do in our own strength. This is what the Spirit of God will do in our lives if we lean on God in prayer. That's why Paul is praying night and day with thanksgiving to God for Timothy. He's praying these things for Timothy. See, every Christian here, whether you're a leader or not, you play an important part of this congregation. You're either going to encourage godly leadership of the church or you're going to discourage it. And if we want pastoral leadership in the future, we need to pray that the Lord would raise up those leaders with the gifts for pastoral leadership, that we would have the discernment to recognize and set apart leaders, and that we would support and strengthen the leaders that we've got, that we would pray for them, that God's Spirit would give them power, love, 
self-discipline to keep going. Let's make it our goal not to be a bucket of water that dampens down the gifts of others through criticism, gossip, frowning, refusing to listen to God's word, but rather encourage those gifts by an eagerness to hear God's word and, and put it into be practice, to, 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 be, to be willing to be led by people who are faithful to God's word rather than to be led by those who are false teachers. We can be those in this church who remind each other to look back with confidence in God. His conversion of us. His conversion of others. The ways we've seen him at work in the lives of people in the church. This is why we love Testimony Sunday, isn't it? Did you, did you hear the Testimony Sunday? It was a wonderful Sunday. As we hear how God ongoingly is keeping people through all the challenges of their life. And it encourages us. This God is working in all our lives. And we can lean on him. We can look back with confidence. He will not leave us in the lurch. And so we can say to each other, move forward with courage. Not in yourself, but in this God. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and thank you that you called us into your kingdom. And Lord, if there's anyone here who has not yet responded to the Lord Jesus, would you help them to see how brilliant Jesus is, that in him is life, that even today they may put their trust in him, surrender their lives to, to King Jesus. And Father, we thank you for giving us uh, gifts within our church, but also giving us your spirit. We pray as things get more difficult in Scotland that we would not be cowards, but we would have power to be willing to suffer and to stand with Christ, that we would love those who make life difficult and you'd keep us self-disciplined and persevering. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.